Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Sang, sang, sang. It is uh, Wednesday. It is uh, July 12th, 2023. Pause there for a second. Well, because I was thinking, is it Thursday? Is it Tuesday? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, uh, July 12th, 2023. I don't know that there's anything significant about July 12th, unless it's maybe your birthday and you're listening out there, in which case... Jared Bradley's birthday is on July 12th. Happy birthday, Jared Bradley. Most of you probably don't know who Jared Bradley is. Nope. The millions of people that subscribe to this podcast don't know him, but we know him. We know him. And actually, there's something else significant about July 12th, but it's not a birthday. It's not a birthday. It's not a birthday, but it's a birth of sorts. Okay, I see where you're going with this. It's the birth of a marriage that's pretty significant in the life of Compass Bible Church in North Texas. That's right. Most the, significant. The birth of the <laughs> uh, the marriage of Pastor Rod and Kristen. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, my love. How many, uh, that was devoted or directed at you, Kristen, not me. <laughs> Just clarifying. <laughs> that would be very strange on a number of levels. Well, it, it sounded strange. It was odd. That was, that was How many years? Uh, 15. 15 years, I five kids. I don't know kids. what color this is or what, what precious metal 15 is, but it's significant, man. It's, a, it's amazing. And as a wedding like anniversary gift, I gave her in Texas. That's awesome. It's like, here's a house in Texas. So <laughs> did you know you can travel Europe and not leave the state of Texas? I've heard such things, yep. but if, as some people suggest, one of those places is called Italy and not Italy, right. then I reject everything you just said. Well, but you can go to Italy, Texas, <laughs> and uh, enjoy that. In fact, I went there once in high school, and you can go to Paris, Texas. You can <laughs> is go it to Paris or Paris? It's definitely not that. Okay. Um, you Texans can go to just Athens. do whatever they want. Right. Texans can Texans name things and then they just like, you know what? Let's just be creative, guys. How do we say this street name or this city name? It really doesn't matter. The rules of grammar. We're just going to say it however we feel like saying it should go. That's true. That's true. Which is fair because Texas used to be its own independent republic. <laughs> I, I guess you can still tell. Right. <laughs> right. They ignore all the rules of social convention and grammar and decide to do things their own way. That's what you say. That's your opinion. I mean, that's a pretty straight up opinion. Well, I, I call it like I see it. Anyways, happy anniversary. We're thankful you. for you guys. 15 years, five kids going on seven. Seven, man. I, as, far, as far as I know, <laughs> and as long as you ain't a prophet, <laughs> I don't think that's happening, buddy. Well, we, we believe that office has ceased, so you're good. Okay. You're good. What happens, though, if I do have twins? Uh, do we get to say the office is no longer ceased? It's a coincidence. Ooh, but I'm not going to go out man. on a limb because if you don't, then I get stoned according to the Old Testament. That's precisely true. I was hoping we would get there. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> none of our modern day prophets want to own up to that part of it. They're like, yeah, I'm a prophet. Okay, well, so if you get it wrong, we're going to take you out back and stone you. <laughs> Lowercase p, perhaps. Yeah, well, what I meant by that is. Yes. Okay. Hey, we're in the book of Psalms and uh, Psalm chapter 7, 8, and 9 today, and uh, then in Acts chapter 17 as well. But as we jump in here, man, Psalm 8 has got to be one of the, the the favorites so far, but we've got some others to deal with as well. Deal with. Wow. Deal with. Okay. Uh, get through. I didn't want to say whatever. <laughs> They're all good, but man, Psalm 8 is so good. Psalm 7, in you do I take refuge is the title there. It's a Shigion. I think that's my favorite Psalm title. Do you just, get Shiggy with it as you read it? <laughs> 
I just think about like William Wallace and and I feel like this was a, a Scottish instrument, the shigigan, or that, William uh, Smith, or Will <laughs> Will Smith, or William Smith getting shigigan. I can't. Okay, oh. no, that's just there. Ouch. It's forever. Ouch. But you'll notice the rest of the superscription says that uh, this is Song of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Pastor Rod, remind us of where we read about Cush the Benjamite. In First Opinions, chapter 12, verse 47. It's probably not even verse opinions. Or the book of David. Or the book of David, yes. Yeah. David, chapter 5. Although I did see someone reference First Samuel 24, 9 and suggesting, well, maybe this is one of those situations where someone was speaking into the ear of Saul and maybe it was Cush. Mm. This or this, yeah, the words of Cush of Benjamin. Could be. What's interesting is he's a Benjaminite, which is uh, one of the descendants of Saul's line, right? Right. Because Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so you have one of these opponents of David here that is a descendant potentially of Saul. And, and so, yeah, we, we don't have anything specific laid out in scripture for us where we can point back and say, this is the situation there, but we do know that David was uh, appealing to God in this lament psalm, this petition lament psalm for God to act on his behalf and to save him and to deliver him and to judge his enemies. And that's just a common theme that we read in a lot of these psalms. And it's going to become kind of a repetitious thing for us as we come to the lament and petition psalms is, is David is taking his problems to the Lord. And, and, and that's a good thing for us to draw out of this, right? Is, is we can go to the Lord when we are up against trials and tribulation or when we're suffering or when we feel opposition rise against us to follow David's pattern here and, and, you know, men listening to this for you guys to lead your families in this and, and not have your first response to be, okay, how do I pull myself up by my own bootstraps? How do I get out of this mess myself? But to, to lead your family to say, you know what, we need to pray. We need to go to God on this. We need to seek him on this. We need to turn to him for deliverance in this because ultimately deliverance comes from him. One of the things that you could do as an idea of how to apply this is just take a psalm. And, and I know uh, Don Whitney made this pretty popular. Take a psalm every day and use that to help guide your prayers. It really does add some flexibility and some freshness to your prayers in ways that maybe your regular prayer time wouldn't. I sometimes will use the psalms. I will often use the valley of vision. Uh, but to take a psalm and to translate it into your current life and experience, that's really helpful. And it does help give expression to things that you may not ordinarily say. Absolutely. Later on in the psalm, he's contrasting the righteous and the wicked. And I, I just think the description of the wicked there in 1415 is so uh, just... It, precise and clear. He says the wicked conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. What vivid imagery there he uses there to describe the, the evilness, right? It's that, that that person is laying on his bed, plotting sin, plotting how he's going to you know, enjoy the, the pleasures of his flesh the next day or whatever it may be. And he's just picturing this and he's saying that that he's petitioning verse 16 that, that the Lord would return that mischief on his own head and his own skull uh, violence descends, right? I mean, the, this imprecatory prayer for, for God to judge, but then he ends this Psalm with this, this statement of, I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness. So he's petitioning the Lord to come to his aid, but even before the Lord does, he's already thanking God and praising God. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. I think that's what's so remarkable about, about Psalms of lament when they're sad and sorrowful yet the resolve of most of these psalms is always going to be and yet i will trust i will give thanks i will sing praise so wherever you are make sure that you're resolving to do right and to respond appropriately even during times of sorrow yeah well psalm chapter eight we get into the first praise psalm in the psalter this is a good one and uh, it's a great one and it's interesting because uh, psalm chapter uh, psalms chapters three through seven are lament psalms 
And then chapters nine and 10 are lament psalms again, but then you've got this praise psalm that's inserted in between uh, those two sections of lament. And so the question is, okay, well, why? Why did the the editors, those that compiled the Psalter here, why did they put Psalm eight where they did? Well, look at chapter seven, verse 17 again. It says, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Now look at chapter eight, verse one. It says, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Jump down to verse nine. Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Now look at chapter nine, verse one, or verse two, rather, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And so the focus of chapter seven, chapter eight, and chapter nine has a lot to do with the name of God, the covenant name of God, the the covenant name, which is Yahweh, which is his name of relationship with his people, that he is the God who is, who exists. I am is the name there. And so that's why I think Psalm eight is slipped into this otherwise section of, of lament here, which is bracketed again, chapters three through seven, and then chapter nine with lament here. And, and yet we get this insertion of this praise Psalm. That was super helpful, but what's a giddeth? A giddeth. A giddeth is, um, it's your, your cousin's sister's aunt, um, mm, aunt giddeth. Yes. Aunt giddeth. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, and we, we don't know. You guys are getting probably used to this by now. There's so many of these words that we're like, we don't know. Like in chapter nine, the, the Muthlaben, we don't know what that is either. It sounds German. You know, we've got German, we've got Scottish, we've got the Giddeth. But this psalm, it's familiar, right? And, and so much of this we've heard sung before. How majestic is your name in all the earth? The, the, the song that maybe you grew up in the 90s singing that. And the, the psalm is focused on the 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 creation, uh, glorifying and testifying to the greatness of God. And yet he also talks about how God has ordered mankind in relation to his glory and his greatness as well. And that great statement after he's pondered the stars in the skies and the moon, where he says, what is man in verse four that you are mindful of him? When you consider the grandeur of the galaxies in the universe, what are we that you even thought of us? Mm. Uh, He goes on and he says, yet you've made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor and you've given him dominion over all the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. It's a callback here to the creation account in Genesis chapter one, where God created mankind and, and, uh, and gave them diminutive authority over all of the, 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 the world over all creation. And, uh, and yet there's something interesting here that the writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews chapter two, where he picks up on this and he quotes this section and he says, you know what, this is, this was not done well by the first Adam and all who followed after there was failures. We did not exercise dominion the way that God wanted us to exercise dominion over creation. So enter Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what we read there in Psalm chapter eight. The one that perfectly was the one who for a little while was made lower than the heavenly beings. And for us, that's a statement. That's a position of exaltation. When we think of us exalted over the rest of creation like that, but for Christ to be made a little lower than the angels was a a stooping down. It was a condescending to be able to do what we couldn't do ourselves. And so there's, there's messianic elements and themes here in Psalm chapter eight in the midst of all this praise. One of the things I think is worth pointing out is something that, uh, well, you do well to notice this. During our current season of life and, and our current political climate and even the teaching realm, right now it's pretty popular to suggest that humans are no different than monkeys or pigs or scorpions or snails or even ants. We're, we're all the same. We're just a, a slightly different human or a slightly different life form. Although there should be such a thing as animal rights. You know, we should give uh, treatment to monkeys, let them make their own decisions. We should we should give uh, pigs a certain kind of dignity by giving them choices and options, and on and on it goes. You might have heard heard of some of this already, but notice here, and not to say that we should 
abuse or disregard animals in the least, but notice that God gives primacy to mankind. He doesn't put an, an, an elephant or a pig above the value and the dignity of a person. And the reason why is because we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, God has given humanity a place of dominion. That's a big word there, verse 6. That does harken back to Genesis 1, verse 26. We're given dominion. Our job is to be stewards of creation and not to be subjected to it. Uh, therefore, as you work your way through school curriculum or books or news reports or things that talk about humans being as remarkable as monkeys, make sure that you do yourself and your family a favor by rejecting that. Amen. No, people are different. They are given dignity and honor that is from the creator himself. Amen. Well, we get to Psalm chapter nine and we enter back into the world of lament and uh, we find that it jumped down to verses 13 and 14 real quick and then we'll come back. But here's the situation. He says, see my affliction from those who hate me, uh, lift me up from the gates of death. So David is, is saying that, man, he's right at the doorstep of death uh, because of the persecution of those that are, are pursuing him, that I may recount your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. Remember Zion being Jerusalem. Um, and so he's, he's, lamenting his situation here. Again, we don't know the specific situation he's facing, but we can think of plenty of times in David's life where he was running for his life, either from Saul or from Absalom, his son, or from some of his other enemies as well. But here's what I think is is so great about this psalm and something that we can learn here is look back up at verse one. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Mm. And, And he's at the gates of death. And yet he's saying, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, undivided devotion and affection directed to praising and thanking God. And you would say, well, what would cause him to do that? Well, look at the second half of verse one. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. What a great thing for us to do with our families. What a great thing for us to do with in our marriages, with our, our spouses. When, when one is feeling downcast or when one is feeling discouraged, maybe anxiety is creeping in to encourage and remind ourselves and to remind our family, to remind our children of all of the good things God has done. Yes, in scripture, we start there and we go back and we recount how faithful he's been throughout the pages of scripture, but it's also worth doing this. How has he been faithful to your family? How has he come through for your family in the past? How has he taken care of your needs in the past? And how that will then frame our mindset like it did David's in Psalm chapter nine to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm at the gates of death, but I'm still going to praise God with my whole heart because I know that God is a faithful God. Application tonight at the dinner table, ask everyone to answer the question. What are you thankful to God for? Mm. Boom. Yeah. Great. Great. Great application. Well, let's jump over to our New Testament reading in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Remember, we are on the second missionary journey now, and uh, Paul has separated now from Barnabas because remember, Barnabas took John Mark and went away, and Paul ended up taking Silas and Timothy with him, and they end up continuing on their journey here in Acts chapter 17, and they move on from Philippi to Thessalonica, and Thessalonica hopefully jumps out off the page to you as another familiar city because we have the letters to the, the church there. First and second Thessalonians, but Thessalonica would have been moving further west, so further away from Israel, further away from Jerusalem, along the northern route there that Paul and Silas and Timothy had taken. Um, and and they get there, and I, I think it's just fascinating the description of the work that they were doing there. Verses two and following, he says he entered the synagogue as was his custom, and he reasons with the Jews there from the scriptures. So that that word reason there, it's a word that means he debated or entered into a, a, a an argument, not a, a yelling argument, but but a debate, a healthy 
conversation over what's true here. And he's using the scriptures and he's doing that. He's also explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And then notice it says, and some of them were persuaded. There's some views out there when it comes to evangelism that all we really need to do is just meekly and gently say, hey, look, here's the gospel. This is what happened. And so, oh, you don't, you don't want to, you don't, you're not interested. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to offend you. And then we walk away. Mm -hmm. That's not what we see from Paul here. Paul's kind of going toe to toe with the opponents in in a respectful way to to an extent, but but he's not backing down. He's not afraid of an initial rebuff or rejection. He's persisting, and in fact, in Second Corinthians chapter five, he even goes so far as to say, "I I beg you, I implore you, to be reconciled to Jesus." And he's doing everything he can to persuade people. And so, yes, God saves people. Yes, the spirit opens, opens eyes for people to be able to believe and trust. But man, don't be afraid to try to persuade the unbeliever in your life to, to come to faith in Jesus. We see that example here in the scriptures. But don't you see, though, in our current culture, so many people are afraid of that. They're, they, 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 we, we don't do that. By and large, we don't debate politics. We don't debate religion. We don't debate really anything that is considered your truth versus my truth. So speak to our church congregation here. Help us to wrestle with the fact that most of our neighbors don't want to do this. It's distasteful and it's not polite to do that anymore. How do we navigate around those social hazards? Yeah, I think we got to be winsome in it, right? I think we have to be those that adorn the gospel, even in the way that we carry about these conversations. We don't need to get you know, in their face and angry and hostile with somebody or rude or short or curt. And we've got to take the offense away from ourselves. If our neighbors uh, say something about Christ or Christianity, we can't allow that to be a a personal offense that gets our dander up that makes us want to respond in the flesh. We can be offended for Christ and we should be, but we need to maintain that, that gentle spirit with them and continue to speak the truth in love. And so this may not be a singular conversation. This may be a, a conversation that is months, weeks, years of pursuing the same person, but again saying, okay, can we, can we continue to have this conversation? Can we keep talking? Or, Hey, why don't you come back for dinner again this, this next weekend? And let's, let's just get together. And you're looking for more ways to begin to continue the conversation and move the ball down the field. If it doesn't happen day one, that doesn't mean that it's a total failure and you walk away. And if you're getting the the lines of, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. You don't have to go apologetics one-on-one on them right, right away and try to break that all down immediately on the spot. But just look for ways to find ways where, where they're, they will espouse objective truth because they will because it's impossible to live consistently with that mindset. They believe in objective truth. And so if you can look for other ways in different conversations and not like, aha, gotcha. But if you can subtly, gently say, hey, so you know, that, that would be objectively true for everyone, what you just said, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, likewise, I, I believe that Christ as Savior is objectively true for, for everyone everywhere. So it sounds like you're saying we can't or shouldn't use physical violence or intimidation. Am I, am I catching that? That probably wouldn't be super helpful. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure and I don't want to misunderstand you. No, but there's a book out there. Uh, Paul Coppin or Copin true for you, but not for me is, uh, the title of the book. Super helpful. Uh, it's a uh, pretty brief, but it's, it's got a lot of really good resources to counter those arguments in there the people in Thessalonica, the Jews that are there, they're, they're jealous. It says in the text that they are upset about the, the notoriety here and they, they get the, the wicked men of the rabble and they form this mob and they sit the city in an uproar. They can't find the, the, the apostles. So they grab Jason, this guy, and they bring him in and they say like, they, they've turned the world upside down. Would that be true of us? Right. Of our church. Yep. And that we would turn 
North Texas upside down for Jesus. Um, and they appeal to the fact that they're disrupting things with Caesar because Th- Thessalonica was a Roman province similar to Philippi. So this would have gotten the attention of the authorities and certainly it does. Paul and Barnabas and Silas or sorry, Paul and Silas and Timothy flee and they, they move away and they move into Berea. And you've heard about this uh, before the, the Bereans, they receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And that's like just that. commendable for us. Right. And we should do that with anything, with any sermon that we hear or anything else. We need to go to the word of God. You guys, if you attend our church, listening to, to me preach on a Sunday morning, make sure that you're going to the word of God and, and holding what I say accountable to God's word because God's word wins, not my word. Um, and so being Bereans is, is super helpful for us. And we need to do that increasingly. So Silas and Timothy stay back as Paul moves on to Athens, although they will join him later, but he goes on to Athens and notice there he's, he's still reasoning in the synagogues. And we pick that up, I believe tomorrow in our next episode of the daily Bible podcast. So a couple pointers here, if you're going to receive the word with all eagerness, what might that look like? You're going to church next week, hopefully, uh, what would it look like to receive the word with eagerness and to examine it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's coming with a teachable heart to begin with and to you say, come okay, awake, right, caffeinated. come awake, come caffeinated, come ready with your notes. Yes, with notes and notes is are super helpful um, because you want to be able to retain it and so do everything that you possibly can to put yourself in a situation to retain as much as you possibly can. And then from there, you, you want to reflect on it and you want to, as we sometimes even talk about, meditate on the, the scriptures, but then also you're, you're taking the things that were said and that were taught and going back to the word of God and going, does, does this line up with scripture, right? Um, even some of the more familiar things that we hear, we, we still need to go back to the word of God and, and double mm-hmm. check and go, okay, I know I've grown up hearing this my whole life, but do I see where this comes from the Bible? Because if I don't, then I need to get rid of it. Yeah. One of the things I find super encouraging as someone who's preached before is when the crowd, when the audience who's listening to the word being preached are responsive, they respond not only by taking notes, but they're, they're nodding their heads when they're tracking or they're giving me a quizzical face when they're not so tracking. (laughs) I appreciate that. So as one of the ways that we can apply, I think this kind of Berean mentality here, as we receive the word with all eagerness is to be responsive in our and, and being students of the word, let the word wash over us, respond to the pastor. I think he'll be super encouraged by that. Super. And also if you sleep during sermons and you think the pastor doesn't notice you, we notice, we do notice. We take you. notes about you and we have a pastor chat that we talk about you. There's a roster. There's a hall of, <laughs> there's a hall of shame, hall of snooze. High school ministry, man. There was always one kid. And, and he was like, he was, he was always in the same spot cause everyone's a creature of habit, but I'd always see him there. His head would be fully back and his mouth would even be open. <laughs> like, please kill me now. I felt so bad for him. And then I got mad, but then I felt bad again at the end of it. Like, Oh, this poor guy is just not even tracking. Yeah. There's a book that's out there. What's it called? Saving Eutychus or something like that. It's, yeah. it's about uh, being a better preacher. Stop being a boring preacher. Right. I take that so personally, man. I work so hard <laughs> anyway. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy or that gal. Anyways, hey, we're thankful that you guys tuned in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast, and we'll yep. catch you guys again tomorrow. See you in a minute. Tomorrow. Words. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.